I'm excited. Uh, Mission Connection was this weekend. I, I know at least a, a few of us were there. Uh, I was there Friday night. Um, it was great. I got to hear Luis Palau speak. I don't know if everyone knows who Luis Palau is. Uh, evangelist. He's been in the Portland area for decades. 84 years old. He's dealing with his second round of cancer. That um, uh, he, I think he said he only has like two to four months to live. So it was uh, pretty incredible to hear Luis speak. Uh, but Mission Connection, I don't know if we pumped it enough. Uh, but uh, you heard Jonathan Martin speak last week. I think our hearts were stirred about missions, realizing that, yeah, we're on a global mission with God. Even if you never go, um, we're, we're called to participate in, in what God's doing, whether it's prayer or, or helping send or, or maybe even some of us actually going overseas. But it was good. Uh, there, there are tons of workshops that, that are great there. I'm I'm giving you an ad for next year's Mission Connection. It's about the same time in January. Uh, tons of great workshops, and not just for people that are going overseas, but, but even for, uh, for people that are staying here, and, and, and how to love like your, your Muslim coworker, or you know, fill in the blank, like there, there's resources there for you. I, uh, I went Friday, like I said, traffic was really bad. It was pouring rain, so I got there late. I was really excited to go to this workshop. Um, I'm like 15 minutes late, the church is huge. I, I find the room that I'm supposed to go to, um, and and uh, and I, I sneak in. I'm taking off my coat. It's all wet. I feel awkward as I'm making all this noise, and uh, I look up at the screen. And it's got some just kind of generic mission stuff verses that could really apply to any seminar. I thought, oh, that's kind of funny. Not what I expected, but okay, we'll check it out. And then I look. There's about 20 people in the room. I look around. I'm like, man, I'm the oldest person in this room. And I don't think I'm there yet in life uh, for that to be the norm. So uh, I'm a little confused. I just kind of stow that away in the back of my brain. And, uh, and then uh, the, the woman leading the seminar said, you know what, let's do an exercise together. Why don't everybody stand up and find a partner? And, uh, and I'm thinking, ah, how's this going to fit? So then I look, and there's a woman here uh, to my right, again, at least a decade younger than me, um, introduce ourselves to each other. And, and I say, hey, what workshop are we in? And she said, singles and missions. I'm like, I gotta go. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, show up on time. <laughs> know what workshop you're heading to. But, but seriously, go next year. A couple weeks ago, we were in John 17, high priestly prayer. Um, and, and this week, we're in 18, like Sherry read. I, I'm going to tell a lot of 18. I'm not going to read all of it. We're not going to go through it verse by verse. Uh, we're going to camp out really in, in verses 38, 33 through 38, where Pilate's interrogating Jesus. And Jesus, in a very typical Jesus way, um, he ends up being the one who asks the questions. And, and he reveals why he has come, that, that his purpose for coming into this world, for coming in the flesh, is to witness to the truth. Which means that we can know the truth. And, and if you're uh, near my age, a little older, definitely younger, um, you, you don't know a time in, in our culture when, when, when it, it wasn't questioned if you could know truth. If you're, if you're older, maybe you remember, um, it wouldn't be a question, can we know the truth? But, but our culture has shifted over time, and we're steeped in relativism where... where uh, uh, we people think, people believe, hey, what's true for me is true for me, and, and you can believe what you believe, and, and that's true for you. Uh, but there is no, no absolute truth that spans all times, all places, all societies. The, this way of thinking says um, there are absolutely no absolutes. 
And as a Christ follower, maybe you see where that breaks down, right? There are absolutely no absolutes. That doesn't make sense, does it? Um, and yet, this is, this, is what, um, yeah, this is what our world is, is steeped in, um, this, this relativism. So when Jesus says that he's come as a witness to the truth, this is great news that, that we can know the truth. Um, I have four kiddos. My wife and I have four kids. Um, and when I meet somebody or, or somebody asks, like, hey, you married? Yeah, I'm married. Uh, I have any kids? Yeah, I have four kids. I get this look, like, four kids? And, and then it's always followed with, man, you must be so busy. And I don't feel that busy. Like, I don't feel like I'm any busier than, than other guys my age that are married with a family. Maybe, maybe I am, but I do get it, though. Because um, when I see a family with four kids, I've said this before, when I see a family with four kids, I'm like, man, that's a lot of kids. And then I remember, like, no, we're not a family of three anymore. We've been a family of four, or four kids for, for three years now. Um, so sometimes when I'm, when I'm in my house, imagine with me, I'm in my house, um, and in another part of the house I can hear, like, some yelling, some screaming, maybe some crying, and, and at least two kids are going at each other. And it doesn't die down, so I... I said, okay, i got to go do something about this. And, um, and I, I probably talked to the one that's crying first. Um, and they tell me their, their story, and it's sad, and I buy into all of it, and I'm ready to, like, drop the hammer of justice um, on the other kiddo. And then that kid tells me their story. And my emotional intensity has gone down because I'm totally confused. Like, I thought this kid was right, but this kid seems really plausible. Neither of them. They're, they're both sticking to their guns, right? Nobody's letting go of the truth. Um, and, and I find myself lost. I don't know anymore. Like, I have no clue who is telling me the truth. I can't tell. I, I feel stuck in, in this looking for the truth. And I wonder how many people today feel stuck trying to figure out the truth of life, trying to figure out w- what is actually true in, in this life now, in, in this life after, or in the life after this life, the truth about God, the truth about heaven and hell. In verse 38, Pilate asks, he says, what is truth? And while I doubt he meant it the way people in our culture would mean it today, I think that question really resonates with a lot of people, and, and perhaps it even resonates with you. Even if, even if there is truth, can we know it? How can we know it? How in the world could we find truth in the midst of all the options that are out there that could be true. But Jesus tells us this is exactly why he came, that without Jesus, we would have no hope in finding out the truth. We would never find the truth. Without Jesus, we would be on this spiritual treasure hunt, but we would never find the treasure. But praise God, he did come. He came to show us the truth. He came to testify to the truth so that we can know the truth and have life eternally. Our truth statement for today is is this. Because Jesus came to testify about the truth, we can know the truth. And I I don't know, this might be the simplest truth statement we have ever had. Um, And and decades ago, when when there was no question about us being able to know truth, I don't even know if this would be stated in a sermon. But, but today, this matters. Christian, this matters for you. You need to have confidence that, that you can know the truth, that, that in Jesus, you, you can know God. It, it gives us confidence 
for those who don't know Jesus, the people that, that we know and love, whether they're friends or coworkers or family members or, or neighbors, that they too can come to know the truth that Jesus came to testify about. And there are really two things I hope you walk away with today. That, that, that we can know the truth. And the second is a question, I'm going to hold on to it for later, but it's a question that's important for you to ask. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, the question is important for us to ask. So most of John 18, I'm going to tell it to you, and we'll zoom in to verses 33 through 38. But Jesus, after he prays the high priestly prayer, he takes his disciples to a garden that they were very familiar with. It was a place he'd taken them many times. They knew it well. I suspect it's a place where they prayed. Maybe it's a place that offered them privacy from the crowds, kind of a safe haven, and especially as everyone is in the city preparing for the Passover. You, you get a feeling that this, this was their refuge. This was, was their spot. And Judas guessed that this is where they would be. Judas had been there, I'm sure, many, many times, and he guessed that this is where he would find Jesus on that night. So he brought a group of soldiers Officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, and they had lanterns and torches, and they were armed. It's hard to say how many people made up this group, but it, it, it wasn't a small group. It, it wasn't a little group that came to arrest Jesus. In verse 4, Jesus steps forward, and he says to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with him. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. And this is curious what happened here. Why did they fall to the ground? When Jesus answered, I am he, literally he said, I am. It is ambiguous, but it probably reminds you of Exodus. When God identifies himself, he says, I am this could be a reference to Jesus' deity. It's not far-fetched that maybe they heard Jesus' response and recognized that Jesus answered the same way God did. Perhaps they were struck that they were there to arrest someone who's claiming to be God, so they fall back. Or maybe there's something else about the way Jesus presented that the text doesn't reveal to us. Maybe it's how he looked. Perhaps it was in the way he spoke. We remember back in chapter 7, the guards were supposed to go arrest Jesus, but they came back empty-handed, and the, the officials questioned them. They said, what happened? Where is he? We, we told you to arrest him. And the officers said in verse 46, no one ever spoke like this man. So whatever it was that struck them with, with Jesus, they couldn't handle it. Like they, they dropped back in fear, perhaps in amazement, in awe. He has to remind them what they're there for. He says, whom do you seek? And they respond, Jesus of Nazareth. He again affirms that it's him. He, he, he tells them, let the disciples go. Right? Let, let these men go. He protects them even in this. And then Peter, we got to love Peter. Peter whips out a sword. And Peter's not good with swords. And it's crazy, right? We have at least a mini mob around, armed. And, and Peter takes out a sword, and, and he swings, and we know he's not good with the sword because what he did is cut the guy's ear off. I doubt it was a warning shot. He cuts his ear off, and, and, and Jesus, in verse 11, he stops this. He says, put your sword in its sheath. 
Jesus says, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Right? Jesus had just led them in communion. Of course Jesus is going to suffer and die. He has to shed his blood for the sin of the world. This was the plan. Last week, Jonathan reminded us back in Genesis, the plan was from the beginning. When God curses the serpent, he says to the serpent, you shall bruise his heel and he shall bruise your head. Speaking of Jesus or, or crush your head, Jesus came to defeat death by willingly laying down his life, by willingly shedding his blood. If Jesus wasn't going to go through with this, he certainly didn't need Peter's help. Jesus could handle this mob if he wanted to in any number of ways, but this was the plan of God. So Jesus was arrested. He was taken to the high priest. He's rushed into the sketchy nighttime trial. Peter and, and probably John is the other one that, that followed Jesus. John gets them into the courtyard of the high priest. We, we read, we heard that, that Peter denied Jesus three times, that he had any connection with Jesus. He, 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 he would not say that he was a follower or a disciple of Jesus. So Jesus is interrogated but they're unable to pin anything on him. Jesus defends himself, and the officer strikes him in the cheek, and Jesus says to him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? And they can't, they can't get him on anything. Verse 28, then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. This drips with irony here. They, they didn't want to go be defiled by entering Pilate's headquarters so that, that they could eat the Passover meal. They weren't concerned with the hypocrisy of trying to put someone to death that was innocent. They wanted this, this religious experience of eating the Passover meal while the true Passover lamb, Jesus, is right in front of them. Right, the whole Passover in Israel's history pointed to the lamb that needed to be slain so that they could be forgiven. It all pointed to Jesus, that he would die in their place if they would trust him, that he would forgive their sins, but they're blind to that. They're dying to eat this meal that represents who Jesus is and, that, and what he's about to do for anyone who would trust in Jesus. And at first, when I read that, I, I imagined John smiling at the irony there as he wrote that line, that they, that they wouldn't go in because they didn't want to be defiled so they could eat the Passover meal. But I wonder, actually, if he wrote that, I wonder if he cried for them. I wonder if he wrote this hoping that, well, I'm confident he wrote this hoping that no one else would miss seeing who Jesus is. I'm sure he prayed over and over that God would open the eyes of those who are blind so they could see who Jesus is and not be like the people that missed it. Well, the Jewish leaders needed Pilate to, to kill Jesus. They needed to convince Pilate. They had to frame an offense against Jesus, someone who, who had no offense, someone who was sinless, so in verse 33, they, they see, we see what, how they framed this against Jesus. It says, So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Right, the Jews had to convince Pilate that Jesus' offense was serious enough to be put to death. Jesus had claimed to be the Messiah, the Son of God. 
And the Jewish people had anticipated the Messiah would come from the line of David, that, that this would be the king of Israel. So this is how they tried to make Jesus this dangerous threat, because a king would be a threat to Caesar's power. So Pilate asked, are you the king of the Jews? And we know the answer, right? Yes, he, he is the king. That's the correct answer. He's not just the king of the Jews, but the king of the universe. But Jesus doesn't answer him immediately. And it comes as no surprise to us if you've read the Gospels even once. You realize, you realize that Jesus is really good at getting below the surface. I took some play therapy classes uh, in school. And play therapy, like long story short, um, talk therapy for kids doesn't work for most kids, right? Like until they're like at least 10, 12 years old. Talk therapy just doesn't work. Play, play works. Like kids, their language is play. So, uh, so I won't get into everything we did in play therapy, but one of the rules that was pounded into us by our professor was that you, you did not a- answer the kid's question asked the first time. They'd a- ask the same question three times before you would answer their question. And, and it was because so often, if you just answered their question, you missed what was really going on. There was more to what was happening in this kid's heart and brain. So, so I'm playing with a kid, and he's got a car, say, and he says, do you want to drive the car? So instead of saying yes or no, I, I would say, I'd reflect back. I'd say, oh, you're wondering if I want to drive the car. And it, it puts the ball back into the kid's court and, and gives him a chance to respond. And, and you know, maybe ask again, or, or maybe he says, uh, yeah, I never get to drive the car. My big brother always takes it from me, right? So then I get this window, and oh, like, that's what was really going on there. I would have missed it if I just answered the question, which I'm not saying don't answer your kids' questions, um, by the way. That might really frustrate all of them. Um, but, but so often, there's more behind the question, right? And Jesus, he's brilliant. He, he, wants, to, he wants to make Pilate think. He wants to make Pilate think about, what, is, what do I believe about this man standing before me? So Jesus says in verse 34, he says, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Right? Pilate, do you want to know the truth? Pilate, is this question from you, or are you just parroting what you've heard from others? Do you want to know it for yourself? And if you don't know Jesus today, do you want to know the truth? Do you want to know the answer if Jesus is real or not? If you really need him to be your savior from sin? Are you, are you interested in knowing if Jesus is the king? Do you want to find out the truth about him? Because we all know what it's like to be closed off to something, to be closed-minded. I'm, I'm sure all of us can imagine a time where we're in an argument, a disagreement with someone, and maybe it gets pretty heated, and, and we're so upset or filled with pride that really we don't even care about what's correct. We just want to win that argument. Well, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, are you open to finding out if the Bible's right about him? If the Bible is exactly as he, if, the, if he is exactly as the Bible describes him, if he is the creator of all things, if he's the one that existed before he was born, that came fully God and fully man to this world, that lived a sinless life and died to pay for every sinner that would confess him as Lord and defeated death by raising from the dead. If you don't believe that, would you want to know if that was true? 
Or are you closed-minded to the possibility of Jesus being the truth that you desperately need? Well, Jesus gives Pilate an opportunity to think about what he believes. Does your question come from desiring to know the truth, or are you just saying what you've heard about me? Verse 35, Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Pilate's not a fan of the Jewish people. Uh, it seems pretty safe to assume that he's in town because of the, the Jewish festival. The town's packed out with people to participate in the Passover. So with increased number of people comes increased risk of riots against Rome. And, and Pilate's not going to let that happen under his watch and his jurisdiction. He doesn't side with the Jews, but in some ways... He does when he asks, am I a Jew? The Jews represent the unbelieving world in John. He will side with the Jews in their unbelief. One commentator wrote, when Pilate asks, am I a Jew? He is essentially asking, are you my king? Most of the Jewish people had decided Jesus was not their king, but this is a profound question. This is the question that, that we, we have to wrestle with. Jesus, are you my king? And I don't just say this to non-Christians, though non-Christians ask yourself this question, wrestle with this question. But I ask this to, to those of you who claim to know Jesus as well, maybe for decades you've been following Jesus. Is Jesus your king? And I'm sure our reaction is, yes, of course Jesus is my king. But does your life reflect that? Or does your heart beat for Jesus the king? Do you treasure Jesus like you used to when you first came to know him? It's easy for us to become complacent, to get used to Jesus. A relationship with Jesus is multifaceted. He's our Savior. He's our friend. He's our Lord. He's our Master. Is he your King? And we'll come back to that question later. So back to Pilate's question. He says, your people handed you over to me. What, what have you done? Verse 36, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king or, or, or you're correct in saying I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said, what is truth? But Jesus does get around to answering the question from verse 33. He is the king, but not like anyone thinks of a king. His kingship is unlike any other. When we think kingdom, we think like Pilate, we think geographically, we think of, of boundaries that, that can be defined. But Jesus' kingdom, he says, is not of this world. The kingdom of Jesus is God's rule and reign. We see the kingdom of God in hearts that have bowed in obedience to Jesus, no matter where they're located on this planet. Hearts that have responded in faith to him and acknowledged Jesus, the rightful king of all. When Jesus says, if my kingdom were of this world, meaning the, the way you think of a kingdom, my servants would have fought, like Peter tried to. Right? He, he whips out his sword. Peter was going to save Jesus. Isn't that cute? <laughs> Peter was going to try and save Jesus when Jesus is actually on a mission 
to save Peter and everyone that would respond to him. We get glimpses of the kingdom of God when, when someone trusts in Jesus because that's not the natural inclination of our rebellious hearts. I uh, dropped off my, my kids' uh, youth group the other night, and, uh, and I, I saw some students that, that I know of and that don't know Jesus yet, I'm pretty sure at least. Um, and I was so excited, and I just stopped and, and spent some time praying for these kids, praying that each week as they hear about Jesus, that, that Jesus would soften their hearts, that they would someday soon respond to the gospel, that as they hear God's word week after week, that their hearts would be changed, that, that they would respond to the truth of Jesus' voice, that the kingdom of God would then be evident in the life of that student, that God's rule and reign would be there as they're obedient to him, that, that the kingdom of God would then move into the household of that student with families perhaps that don't know Jesus yet. So Pilate does catch on. He says, so you're, you're king. And Jesus responds with his purpose in coming in the flesh. He said he was born, and he's come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And like I said, we can know the truth. Not a truth, but the truth. And this truth is able to be known by us through God, his self-revealing in Jesus. This is why Jesus came, so that we would know the truth. John 8, 32 tells us the truth sets us free. We don't have to wander wander around looking for the truth. My daughter was looking over my, over my shoulder last night, looked at my notes, and what jumped out at her was the question, what is truth? She, she said, what is truth? Boom, God is truth. I can save people a whole lot of time at church tomorrow. <laughs> She's right. <laughs> she said they could enjoy their three-day weekend. Um, John 17, three, uh, and she's right. <laughs> what is truth? God is truth. That's the truth. That's, that's the truth that we need to know. That's the truth that this whole world needs to know. John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus has come to bring his kingdom. We can know King Jesus. Well, Pilate, in verse 38, he says, what is truth? And it's, it is hard to know exactly what Pilate meant there. His question, like I said earlier, it sounds like it could have come out of someone's mouth today. Whatever the case, Pilate turned from trying to even know truth. I don't know if he was frustrated trying to understand what is true, trying to decipher what is true, or if he realized that he didn't want to know the truth. He didn't want Jesus to be his king. He liked the power that he had in his own life. Either way, Pilate doesn't wait for Jesus to answer he says, what is truth, and then quickly exits. I've been struck recently with the reality that, that we can know truth through God's word. I've heard several stories, a couple at Mission Connection, about people that did not know Jesus at all. Maybe they'd heard of him, maybe not. And somehow someone gave them a Bible, or they got their hands on a Bible, and they started reading in the Gospels. They started reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and after some time, they trusted in Jesus as their Savior. God's word is so powerful. Now, I know that some, sometimes we may ask, okay, this, this book is really old. Like, can we 
can we trust the Bibles that we have today? And, and obviously, there, there are long answers to that. I'm going to give you a pretty short answer. Um, but, but if that's a question you, you wrestle with, I'd love to talk to you later. And I've, I've got some resources that I can point you to. We have some resources on our website I can point you to. But the, the short answer, or, or one short answer, I should say, is if you believe in an all-powerful God, it is strange to me to think that God could not preserve his word. I have no problem believing that God would keep his word safe for us throughout history because he has deemed that as the vehicle through which we can know about him. So while I can understand wondering if what we have today in our Bibles is accurate, if it's true, if it's what God originally gave us, I have no problem believing that our all-powerful, all sovereign God is going to preserve his word. Nothing will stop him. Like I said, though, if that is something that you want longer answers to, I can, I can get you some resources this week. Picking up back in verse 38, um, Pilate, after he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and he told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Pilate found no guilt in Jesus, and that should have been the end of it. He should have declared him innocent right there, but Jesus had to be sacrificed as the spotless lamb that we needed to take our place as the bearer of the wrath of God that we rightly deserve. So while Pilate refuses to choose what he believed, he makes, or what he was going to believe, he makes the crowd choose. Will they choose Jesus, or will they choose this world? And the choice is no different for us today. Will you choose this world or will you choose Jesus as king? Are you my king? If you haven't trusted Jesus yet, I encourage you, think through this question. Ask yourself, is Jesus your king? Don't be like Pilate. Don't run from the answer, even if the answer scares you. Run to the question. Get a Bible, start reading it. Ask every question you can. We have plenty of people that would love to walk through scripture with you that will do our best to answer every question you have. Christ followers, we know the right answer. We know the answer is yes, Jesus, you are my king, but is that true? Maybe you said yes a long, long time ago. Are you still saying yes today to Jesus? Where are you saying no to Jesus in your life? If Jesus really is your king, are you living in his kingdom is the kingdom of God evident in you by life marked with yes after yes to what Jesus asks? Because it, it's easy in, in all kinds of relationships, and our relationship with Jesus is no different to get into a routine, to get comfortable in, in some ways that, that aren't so great. Maybe your Christianity looks great on the outside. Maybe you go through all the motions flawlessly, but on the inside, do you have less and less to do with Jesus as your king? Is Jesus barely on the throne of your heart? More and more, our desire for our kingdom can win out over God's kingdom. And it starts out subtly. We don't even recognize so often our self-focus. More and more of our energy and our time are occupied with what we want, with what we desire. It's almost like a spiritual retirement. We think we've put in all these years of hard work. And now it's time to kick up our feet and relax. 
Choosing Jesus as your king means daily surrender to Christ. There's this picture in the Old Testament of the drink offering. I don't know if you're familiar with the drink offering, but long story short, it, it, it's, it's wine. You just pour it out to God on the altar with, with, the, with the, uh, the meat uh, offering as well. Um, and Paul picks up this imagery, and he, he says, man, I'm, I'm glad to be a drink offering. I'm glad to be poured out every last drop. And man, when I was younger, it was a lot easier to be poured out. When I first met Jesus, it was a lot easier to be poured out. I was way more willing. And now it's more tempting for me to pour out some, maybe even most, but I'm tempted to hold some back. Christians, there's no holding back in following Jesus. He has held nothing back for us. He gladly poured himself out as an offering. He poured out his blood for us. Our king doesn't ask us to do any more than he's done. We get to follow where he has already gone. Jesus stood to testify for the truth at the cost of his life. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that we do not have to wander this planet searching for truth without hope. I thank you, Jesus, that you've come into this world that you give us a clear understanding, a clear picture of who God is, that we can know God, that we can be in a relationship with God through your blood shed on the cross. Lord, I, I pray that not only would, would we love that for us, but we would long for that for others all over this globe, including the people right next door to us, including the people in our houses maybe that don't know you, Jesus. Lord, would we be a people that are quick to point people to the truth that can be known in you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.